The manifold grace of God we've been talking about, and the word manifold is where we get a, a Greek word for the word of a variety of things, ways, methods. The manifold grace of God, the manifold wisdom of God, it, it can come in a variety of ways. We've been learning this for about eight weeks. And the word grace is a word called haris, and it means the superior renders to the inferior. It was a political term before it was a religious term. The king had it all. The citizens were all slaves and they owned nothing. So it was up to the king to render whatever the citizens needed. So Paul adopted this word and he so wonderfully placed it into the New Testament. Now that we understand that, that God has it all and we are bankrupt and poor. But he said, blessed are you that are poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is yours because God wants to give it to you. That's good news. So now then, we, we said there was different graces. Briculos was a word for manifold. It's a variety of ways. Joseph's coat of many colors was the Old Testament word. We found out there was saving grace. We found out there was serving grace. We found out there was a standing grace. Last week, we talked about sufficient grace, that God has it all. What do we need? So when we kind of began this, I got to go back because... I'm not, really, I'm not really a preacher. I want to tell you that right now. I'm just not. I'm, I'm more of a Bible teacher. And, and being a Bible teacher, whatever scale of level that I may be on, I'm not so quick to move forward until you get it. So every good school teacher in curriculum, they're, they're really interested in your student. Matter of fact, whenever a student failed, no teacher said in the middle of the night, yes, I'm glad he failed. Well, if you're, if you're struggling in grades, matter of fact, Papa Chris was a superintendent and principal and, you know, and he understands curriculum, getting education in people. And we take it, we, it's, it's a burden within me that if I don't feel like you're getting it or understanding it, I just don't want to plow through the service and say, we're done. I'm just not that guy. Because here's the deal. I have it. And, but if you don't have it, what are you going to do when I'm not around? I want you to get it. And I want you to understand some things. So, so the, you know, a communicator, a communicator, he takes something that's complicated, Ronald Reagan, and says he makes it simple to understand. I want to be a communicator to you. And so, so pardon me. If, if I kind of, because some of you are from Wilson and Long Grove, I have to talk a little slower. And if you're from Dixon, it don't really matter how I talk. You're not going to get it anyway. So about two weeks ago, the very first grace we talked about was saving grace was found. And we'll talk about this. This is a scripture that I've talked about, and we're going to look at it just for a few moments. And it's found in Psalms 107, verse 23 that they don't go out to the sea in ships. They do their business in great waters. <clears throat> they that go down into the sea in ships. They that go down to the sea in ships, they do their business in great waters. He's talking about traveling intercontinental, if you would. As a matter of fact, you've heard me say this, that when dealing with ships, the deeper the water the bigger the boat's going to be required. They that do business in the kingdom of God, the deeper, wherever God has taken you somewhere. So the first thing that we learned about about three works ago, as far as we refer to as saving grace, was called workmanship. This is found in Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship in Christ. The word workmanship is a Greek word for poema, or we get a word for poetry. Poetry by definition, it is the expression of someone's seed of emotions or thoughts or ideas. If they're struggling, send them a card that has poems in them. If, if they're celebrating, send them a card that has some type of poetry in them. Poetry is the expression of someone's thoughts and emotions for specific need. We, the Bible says, are God's workmanship. And when you first look at that, you get the idea that it means he didn't say craftsmanship. He said workmanship. There's a difference. Workmanship means that we, as the body of Christ, we are God's expression and thoughts. We are the living example of his seed of emotions. So when I look at you and I look at Virgil, 
God has a sense of humor. Agreed? In a good way. Because Virgil makes me laugh. He does. And he sits on the second row for a reason. He used to sit on the back row, but he, but he and Chuck got in too much trouble, so we moved him to the second row. So workmanship, it means we are an expression of God's idea. We are an expression of God's poetry. And poetry brings some sense of reason and rhyme to any situation that you're going through. So that's very important. So poetry is like this. It's just you in an inner tube on calm waters. When you first get saved, it's just all about you. It's me and Jesus. Got our own thing going. I, I, I understand that. But this inner tube is only good for either swimming pools or calm bodies of water. Most of you have been wading around in calm waters, ponds, small swimming pools, and, and, and you really, it's the good life. But I'm telling you, when God gets ready to take you deep waters, you're going to need more than just you and an inner tube. Because I'm telling you, in 29 and a half cruises, I have never, ever seen anybody on an inner tube in two miles of ocean. So we that do business in seas, that we begin with poema. We begin with just us. This is the beginning of our journey with God. We do business in waters. And it's calm, it's tranquil, it's easy, and, and it's no big deal. Life is good on the inner tube in the backyard swimming pool. But have you know if God changes every once in a while? And he'll take you to a place where you'll question him. But he'll never take you to the place until he prepares you for it. Yes. So the first one is workmanship. The second one, and the only one today, is the, the next step beyond workmanship or your salvation is called fellowship. Fellowship. Let's show what fellowship is. Now there's Chuck and Virgil in a canoe. <laughs> a kayak. Now, now then what happens is that we have graduated from an inner tube and now then we have, we have graduated into a two-man canoe or kayak and now then this kayak is able to go on larger bodies of water. Now for you that are barely in the door and for you that have been sleeping for the last 34 years, I need you to hear me today. Because for the next few weeks, I'm going to take you somewhere. But you're going to have to understand that, that workmanship is the greatest thing that we can ever experience. It's God's saving grace that comes to our life. And, and we find ourselves that it's all about us and we seclude ourselves and, and we isolate ourselves from anything and everybody because here's the concept. The church is full of hypocrites. I understand that. But come on. There's room for one more. Just come on. And you've heard me say it. Somebody said, well, I just, you know, when I got saved, I had to go find myself. I found myself and I wasn't impressed. And I realized through wasted years that I was missing out on one of the greatest ventures that God has, can ever give us is called the fellowship of the body of Christ. You don't hear that a whole lot in denomination churches because they think that they're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. That's why there's 30 minutes of silence when we realize the Church of Christ folks are going to be there too. You think you're the only one. You're not. There's only one requirement to enter to the kingdom of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood. That's what it is, by faith. So fellowship, now then, is 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 so important to the next step of your salvation. There's a lot of people that are stuck in phase one. And that's why they're miserable. Because when you look in the mirror, you really don't see a person that really you want to become. When you look in the mirror for a long time, and as a spiritual man or woman, you're saying, is this the best that God has for me? And the answer is no. 
He has called us to adjoin to people that are like faith. And that like faith is Jesus Christ as common denominator. And we can have many friends, but the, the basis is this morning is, is that, that our salvation has another step, another process, and it is called fellowship. Fellowship. So that's what we're beginning this morning. There's two questions concerning fellowship. For those that didn't ask, I'm going to give you the answer. What is fellowship? Fellowship is a Greek word called koinonia. And koinonia is where we get different words for a coin. Currency. It's a word for a commune. It's a word for we have something in common. We have commerce. One definition, it means something that we are connected to or connected with. It's used 20 times in the New Testament. And you've heard me say this, but I want to say this to you. You remember when Jesus turned over the money, the tables and the money exchangers? Remember that? He went into a, a rage. And I love those people, wears those bracelets. What would Jesus do when they come to that story? They kind of hide that bracelet. He went in there and threw over money exchangers. You, and you've heard me say this, but let me tell you why. Because it was, it was funny money. It was token currency. If you go to Chuck E. Cheese or Aladdin Castle, you'll lay a regular $5 bill into the machine and it'll give you five tokens. And that five tokens will work anywhere in the arcade, but it will not work at McDonald's. Let that sink in. The religious people had Chuck E. Cheese and all these things going on inside, and so they had to take one currency to exchange it for another currency in order for that currency to work inside the temple. And Jesus turned the tables over and he said, listen, what works on the inside should work on the outside. You're making the biggest mistake of your life when you think you can come in there and we can sit and get along here, but you won't even wave at one another going down the road outside the church. That's not the fellowship that Christ is talking about. What works on the inside should work on the outside. If you like me in here, you at least ought to like me outside. You understand that? And the churches are filled with funny money. Oh, it's working on the inside. Oh, we got it going on. But when we get to the outside, you live like hell. That's not the way it should be. We tolerate one another now, but boy, in the parking lot, we, we'll cut somebody off in traffic because we don't like them. You're missing out of one of the greatest opportunities is called fellowship. And Jesus was so angered by it, but he said, this is not the way that it should be. You should love one another here and you should love one another in the street. And if you can do that, you understand the language of fellowship. We have something in common. We have Jayhawk fans. We have Sooner fans. Rock Chalk, Boomer Sooner. But we still love one another. I even bought a rock chalk shirt just for Terry Myers' benefit. <clears throat> we all have different likes of music. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different denominations. We, so we have, we're all different colors, heights. We all have likes and dislikes. But there's one thing that we can leave all those things at the door, and we can surrender to one thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. And that's all that matters. And not only here, but we, 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 we exercise that wherever we go. That's fellowship. And forget that, well, I go to church with them. I, I even hate to even say that. I, I'd rather hear that we're brothers in Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. We may go to the same place of worship, but, but it's more than just going to church together. The word fellowship, if you don't know this before I get, go on, is that's why I named this church fellowship. Fellowship. So here, here is a, that's a classical term in the Greek. Here's a strict Greek word. It means I know, I know your favorite food. I know if you're a cat lover. <laughs> Who said amen? 
You're out of here. And, and I, I, we, I mean, we, we, know, we, we, we know your likes and your dislikes, and, and, and we know your favorite food, and, 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 and we know your little quirks and your imperfections, and we know everything about you. We, we know where you live. We know what cars you drive. We know everything. We know what waist size you had before Thanksgiving, and now we know what you look like. We know everything about you, and we still love you. Don't confuse this for a church. It's a fellowship. I like it. A church seems to be so cold and indifferent, and it's a structure, and it's a building. A fellowship means I know you, and you know me, and we still love to be around one another. That's a fellowship. The Bible says, if there's any consolation of the Spirit, it means, what he means by this, he said the Holy Spirit knows everything about you. The Holy Spirit knows everything about you, and he still Loves you. That blows my mind. So a fellowship is more than just a church. It is not a generic term for a bunch of people getting together. It's a strong language that we're familiar with one another. We understand one another. We understand one another's weaknesses. We understand one another's strength. And in that, we are still, what's this? We still find connection. Because hear me. As you've heard me say this, we are not Legos. Legos connect perfectly. We are parts of the body. The bones of my body do not connect together. The bones of my body do not snap together. The Bible says they are fitly jointed together through the ligaments, the bands of the love of Christ. That bone there meets bone there but they do not lock together. They're held together by cords and ligaments and sockets. We are not intended to look exactly alike. We are never intended to agree on everything. But what happens is we can come here with different sizes, shapes, and functions, and it is the love of God that connects us and holds us together that we can function as a body. Somebody said, well, I don't want to sit over here because they don't look like me. Well, they'll never look like you, thank God. So what keeps us together? It's more than a Baptist and assembly God and a Pentecostal doctor. What keeps us together? It is the bond, it is the bands and the ligaments and the sockets of the love of Christ. That's what holds us together. That's what holds the church together. So in Acts chapter 2, we had this wonderful thing, what is fellowship? And that's a great question. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says this, and all that believed were together and had all things in common. See the word together? All that, all that believed, all that were born again, they believed and they were together. This is a Greek word that basically soon, or komahi, has everything to do with to convene together, to join together, to assemble together, to make sense of, of scattered parts and pieces. The word together. They were all together. Pits and pieces and parts that were scattered, that God assembled them together. It's very important that you understand this, that if you are born again and part of the workmanship of God, then I'll tell you that God has a place for you to assemble and be a part of. You're never called to be on your own and by yourself. There's no Lone Rangers or Superman anymore. We're called into fellowship. And if you do not jive with this church and the people of the church and me, I understand. But go somewhere where you can fit in and be a part and, and, and adapt to good biblical teaching, but be a part of something that's alive and growing in God. Because there's an expression that said this, our witness will enhance our witness into the world. Our witness will enhance our witness. So don't go to the streets and say, oh yeah, you need to go to church and you need to, you need to give your life to Jesus. And somebody said, well, you go to church? And, well, I do. I go on 4th Street, but I can't stand any of them, but I go. That's not going to do you any good. Well, then they said, well, if you don't get along with them, what do you think I want to get along with them? 
You can say something like, and here's the, here's the, here's the deal. Somebody said, what kind of church is it? What's well, a good one? It's a good one. Say, it's just a good church. So what happens is, is that our witness or our togetherness, our togetherness, our witness, it enhances your witness because you belong. You belong to a group of people that, that, that absolutely doesn't look like you, that acts like you, that talks like you, but there's something that locks us together. And you know what that is? That is the love of God that connects us together, that we can grow in truth. And the Bible says that we may grow in proportion to the head. There's no big head and little stick man that we're growing together. And as I grow, I want you to grow. And I'm not going to grow without you. And matter of fact, I'll stay right here until you get it. That's the deal. I'm not going to leave you behind. And if we have some slow students in here, it's okay. I'll bring a cot up here and I'll bring a lunch and we'll all get it together. We'll wait on you, but you're going to get it one way or the other. But this has an opposite effect. Coming in fellowship, and you may say this, well, I don't, I, I, I don't need you people. You are being deceived. You hear me loud and clear. You ain't, and I'm going to look at this piano player. You're nothing special. I've had people walk in and think they're special. Two words, you're not. Matter of fact, I smell you from here. Oh, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Even in the beginning, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It never was intended for you to be alone by yourself. Because once you isolate and separate yourself and you think that I'm the village idiot, which I'm not, then you become alone to yourself. And then this is why people won't come here very long because when they become alone to themselves and they hear truth and I, and, I, and I can prove it, but you'll always find two classes of people, people that are hungry for God and people that resist his word. I didn't say that they won't have their own gathering. They will, but you'd be surprised the goofball things they'll come up with. Did you know all over the internet now they're saying that Jesus was an alien? The aliens took Elijah? Really? I don't listen to it much, but I watched it last night. This guy, he had a he had a he was sitting in front of a stained glass window and he said, I've got some revelations for you that the Bible says, he that worship me will worship the spirit and truth, but this spirit has everything to do with alien form. Hello. We're not talking about smoking behind the bowling alley. We're talking about saying Jesus is part of an alien form. You need to be in church. You, you need to be an examined examine the word of God and verify it and write it down and make sure that I'm not pulling your chain. And I'm not. Because I have to answer to one that's far beyond you. But there's an opposite effect to this. Watch it. This is found in Proverbs 18, verse 1 and 2. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment, which means the counsel of the word of God. A fool has no delight in understanding the word of God, but in expressing his own heart. Before we show the next one, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, it says, it'll come a day where people are allergic to the things of God. They are allergic to the things of God. You start preaching the word of God, they'll start sneezing, coughing, breaking out in hives. Oh, they'll listen to a few keys that I tear up on a piano. But when it comes down to the principle of the word of God, oh, they'll break off into all kinds of diseases and run out the back door and won't see him for a month. The Bible says that these people in the last days, they will be allergic to the things of God. Seekers of their own selves. That's one translation. Watch what the Message Bible says. It's pretty good. <coughs> Loners who care only for themselves spend on common good, means the community of faith. Fools care nothing for thoughtful discourse. All they do is run off at the mouth. Fools could care less about coming to church and sharing common faith. Because I got news for all of us. None of us knows it all. We learn from one another. We groom from one another. This is how, this is how we grow in Christ. 
And we and we can and this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 1 18. Come, let's reason together. Let's work it out. Let's talk about it. your sins be like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. It's a wonderful thing that we can be taught in a certain way, and, and we can be schooled in a certain way. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that, that the teachings and the education of God is 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 ongoing and continual until you die. You'll learn things if you'll just come every once in a while, and you'll learn things in Scripture maybe you did not know. And maybe you question, you say, I don't know about that. We'll just look it up. And when we get a feeling, we get offended, and we get our feelings hurt, you know what we do? We build walls, and we shut people out. That is no bueno, my friend. Our fellowship should be more than donuts and coffee. Somebody said one time a few years ago, why don't we put a coffee shop out in the foyer? I said, why don't we don't? And you know what they said? You can get more people. I don't want people like that. I appreciate coffee and donuts. I like them myself. But you know what? When you set up a coffee shop and I'm not against it and I'm going to get hate mail, I don't care. I like Gayla read them. I don't care. I read the first thing they walk in is see a smiling face and a cross behind the pulpit and they understand fully what this thing is about. There's nothing against socialism. I like it. I like being social. I like being friendly. We have potlucks, but I'm telling you, I'm not going to build, I don't want this church to be built on, on just being social because we can be spiritual in our social. And, 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 and if anybody besides, has anybody ever worked around me? I mean, we, these guys have worked around me and I'll tell you right now, I'm talking about Jesus, the kingdom of God and building, and you're a knucklehead, but I'm still telling you everything that pertains to life of godliness while we're working. And if we can sit and break bread, I'm gonna, we're going to be social, but we're going to talk about the kingdom of God in our hearts. That's what I'm after. Being social in spiritual matters. And that's how we stimulate spiritual growth. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, tells us that let us provoke one another unto good works with love. Let us provoke one another. Parazumas, it means gouge one another with a stick. Let's stimulate one another. Let us provoke one another in love unto good works, he said. Para is beside, zumos is to gouge. My responsibility and obligation is to you is to gouge you, stimulate you. With love and good works. Because every once in a while we become a little idle. We don't want to go and we don't want to change. But you know, the, the thing about it is I wanted to show, number two, why is fellowship important? We found out what fellowship is. It's coming together. It's agreement together. Why is it so important? Because through the scriptures here at this local church, you will discover not only who you are, but whose you are. That's who you'll discover in the scriptures. Not only who you are, but whose you are. Okay? So, for the next few moments, watch this. I got a few moments. Some of you know this. John chapter 5, show verse 2 through 5, son. This is the King James. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in Hebrew word Bethesda, having five porches. This church, we are Bethesda Ministries. And in these lay great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever was, was first after the trouble in the water stepped and was made whole in whatsoever disease that he had. And a certain man that was there, which had infirmity for 38 years. All right. Look at the NIV Bible, which is the very best translation of the Bible we have. Now, in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate of pool, which is in Arabic, called Bethesda, and which was surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great multitude of disabled people used to lie, the blind, not lie, that would sound like us, but lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. There is no verse four. Verse five. And one who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. In the King James, we have verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. In the NIV, which is the correct translation, we have 1, 2, 3, 5. Verse 4 is not in the Bible. 
<laughs> Anybody here sitting here got an NIV Bible? It's not in there. So why is it not in there? Because it is a superstition. The King James writers just added it. So now then you're going to say, well, what else in the Bible is not in there? Well, come back next week. We'll talk about it. You see, what's this? You just learned something. How many honestly did not know that? Thank you. Thank you for coming today. You just learned something. You've been saved for 112 years and you've read the Bible five times and now then for the first time, you've learned something today. That is the importance of fellowship. You don't know everything that God has for you to know. It's a superstition. Around Jerusalem, it was full of seismic activity, still is. Still is. Whether it be in Jerusalem or south of Long Grove down in the bow, you can be sitting there in a car and your car will go shaking. Seismic activity. And there was a, there was a rumor going around that certain times of the year that the earth could quake a little bit and the water would stir it and they thought that that would cause healing. Now, whether it did or not, I don't know. Jerry Landrum knows he was a kid back then, but I don't know. And I wrote this here. The negative fellowship is like hanging around other folks who are without the truth of God and his word. They only cling to superstitions and sensual stuff, feelings and emotions and gimmicks. Fellowship, and what I mean by fellowship is coming under the umbrella of the truth of God's word. It will inoculate you and immunize you from stupid people saying dumb things like Jesus was an alien. Please don't believe that. Please. So what happens is, is that once you become as fellowship, what is fellowship? It's coming together. It's more than just you. Now then we're learning and, and we're drawing off one another. And we got two paddling this boat and we can go a little bit deeper water than we could on the inner tube. And we're, we're learning to work together. Wait till we get to discipleship next week. If, if you're faint of heart, don't come next week, but discipleship will require you something, but it's a great deal. But what happens is, is that fellowship, that, that it will immunize us and inoculate us from, from, from viruses that are running around that are trying to poison your mind or corrupt you. The word of God is this great immunizer for things that would like to destroy your heart and your mind. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number five, it says that that strong meat belongs to those who can discern what is good and evil, kalos and kakos. It means what is Jesus and what is junk. And how do we get strong meat? Is when we come as fellowship, whether it be in the Sunday school classes or sitting in a lecture form like this, but at least you can throw things out on the table and say, I've heard this all my life. What, do y'all know any more about this? And hopefully you can go home with more understanding and more wisdom than you had when you came today. And we just proved that you did. Fellowship. I grew up in the Assembly of God Church and all they was interested in the last. Superstitions and sensual things. Until I got saved and I really got saved, then I started asking questions. Never ask questions of someone that's insecure and they don't know the answer. And I started asking questions. How come we do that? Well, don't ask, just do it. Well, I'm not going to do that. One time we went somewhere and I'm not making fun or a lot, but went somewhere, a revival meeting out in Relive City and they had a big hoopla and had this high powered evangelist. There weren't that many people, probably about 175. And boy, I mean, they were romping and stomping and they were just charged up. And I grew up in it. I grew up in it. But I found out that's what, what it was all about. And Galen and I were the only two. We looked like two thirds of the Hebrew children <laughs> sitting in the pew. And I said, I'm not going up there. He said, oh, I want everybody. I want to lay hands on you and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And 
he was spitting on them and he was telling them, hang on. And he said, let go. And I, we were all confused, you know. And I mean, they had the music blaring and we, the church wasn't very big at all. And Gail and I, we just stood there, you know, like two orphans in the back. And he looked at me and he said, I need y'all to come down. And I go, I ain't moving. <laughs> nope, we're good. You know, oh, it, it hurt his feelings. He said, you come down here, brother, and we're going to give you, we're going to put some anointing on you. I said, I'm good. We're good. I'm not against anybody or anything that are involved in that, I'm telling you, but we have to get to a place through the fellowship of the Word of God that we move past superstitions and sensual stuff. I've never promised you you get goosebumps when you come here. I just promised you I put enough Word of God in you to, to face whatever you're going to face this week. Because when you face real demons when you go home, you're going to need more than goosebumps and superstitions. And there's a lot of things in the Bible why we do something that's superstitious. You're just not aware of it. So that's my responsibility to you. Okay, here, we got to go. So the reason why fellowship is so important because here are some upcoming attractions for the, in the book of Acts for this new founded church. Why is it important that I come to church? Well, hang on. Not only we're going to educate you, we're going to help you, but I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a reason that the book of Acts. Here's the seeds of the plan of persecution that was about to be harvested, and they were being sown in Acts chapter number two. The first church, they were mocked, they were laughed at, they were taunted, they were threatened. They were bullied. They were intimidated in Acts 4. In Acts 5, the gloves were off. They were beaten. They were tortured. They were thrown into prison. In Acts chapter 6, self-centeredness began to help unravel the church's structure. In Acts chapter 7, in cold blood, they murdered Stephen, one of the leaders of the church. In Acts chapter 8, it is the introduction of Rome's mob boss. We call him Saul of Tarsus, Rome's 007 agent. They gave him a license to kill the church. And he did it with passion and pride. The result of everything that happened in the book of Acts is found in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God, which is the brother of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, of the 12 tribes which are scattered. The word Greek word for scattered means dysphoria, or we get a word that means segmented, segregated, torn in pieces, fragmented, parts and pieces everywhere. What has happened in the book of Acts, James tells you what's going on. It started as a complete whole church. 5,000, 3,000, thousands were saved, but something began to happen within Rome's grip. And now then, when you get to James, they're all fragmented. They're gone. Dysphoria. Dysphoria was an agricultural term that a man would take seed and just chaff and thrown in the wind, it was scattered to the four winds. Why do you need fellowship? You need fellowship the way the New Testament first church needed fellowship because you have no idea what you will face tomorrow. And I want to say this and you're not going to like it. Turn to somebody and say, I love Sister Gayla. Tell her. You can turn on preachers that are telling you this, today is your best day ever. but they're more than likely are lying to you. Once you pull your head out of the spiritual sand, you're going to figure out that things are not that good when you leave this fellowship. When you leave this sense of gathering in the body of Christ, you're going to find out that, matter of fact, I wrote this, the alert. We still live in a world 
that is hostile to the beliefs and convictions of the Apostles' Doctrine. I don't mean the Apostles' Creed. I mean the Apostles' Doctrine that walked and talked and served with Christ. Here's the answer this morning. We got to go. We still live in that world. Sin has not changed. They still hate you. Let me back that up. They still hate me. Hell still hates me. Hell still hates the Word of God. Hell still hates men and women of God that are passionate about the things of God and compassionate about the people of God. Nothing's changed. The same people that murdered Stephen, that same spirit is still alive and well outside these doors. And I've felt it sometimes in these doors through the years. Why do you need fellowship? Because you're no different from the first church. Why do you need to come here with one another? And you say, well, we got the power. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and read 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. These were seeds that were being sown for the harvest of persecution against the church. Why do you need fellowship? It's because the world still hates you. They hate the one that you serve. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. We're going to go. We've got to love the world. That's not even really in Scripture. I understand what you mean by that. But that means a moral responsibility. James said friendship to the world is enmity against God. So which is it? Love not the world, nor the things of the world. Jesus said, for the love of the Father is not in him. Pay attention. Quit believing some jackass is telling you something late night that you got to look like and conform to the world. I'm telling you, we have got to be separated from the world. We have got to take on the, the, the righteousness of Christ. We have got to set the example of what the holiness of God is all about. That's hard for some of you. I understand that. But we live in an idea today that we've got to conform to the world. And that's not Bible. That's superstition. And that's sensuality. How are we going to get them in church? Then live a life of Christ in front of them. Just live it. Be happy in an unhappy world. Be straight in a crooked world. Be joyful in a sad world. Be light in a dark world. Be honest in an unhonest world. I wrote this to you. We got to go. Fellowship is the part of the process of God's growing and maturity. Watch this. If you will give someone what they cannot find anywhere else, they'll keep returning. And the first time they say to you, well, all churches are the same. You say, oh, you got to come hear that knucklehead. I listen to you every Sunday morning. He makes me so mad. But there's something about him that I think he's telling me the truth. Billy Graham said, I'm not here to comfort the afflicted. I'm here to afflict the comfortable. So what is it that makes fellowship so important is that I can come together with believers and we can exchange ideas through the Word of God and we can grow. And on your own and by yourself, you're you're doomed. You'll never make it. You'll never make it. You need me. I need you. We need one another. We need one another to grow. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't, but I'll tell you one thing. We have to agree what the Word of God says. And you may say this morning, well, I wasn't raised that way. I understand that. I understand that. But somewhere, if we're going to be men and women of God, like He's commanded us to be, then somewhere we're going to have to start connecting in fellowship. And we learn to work together and grow together and we go into deeper waters together. So I guess you don't know this, but there is an all-out war against the Christian community today. If you don't know that, then 
please turn off the view and turn off whatever them soap operas and start really figuring out what's going on here. Anything that God says is holy, the world is condemning as it's okay. I'm glad to report to you this morning that I'm glad to be a part of this fellowship. When I made a mistake, thank you for forgiving me. When I wasn't there for you, thank you for understanding. When I'm going to go on cruises and don't miss you, I understand. But God loves you to accept you the way you are, but he loves you even more not to allow you to remain in that condition. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to charge you. I'm going to do everything I can to bring about the very best that's in you. That I want it to be said about you that was said about the disciples. They're not educated. They're not smart. They're not talented. They're all a bunch of smelly fishermen, but we know one thing. These men have been in the presence of God. Fellowship. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you. And for those that are not here, they're still part of our lives. Father, this morning that you have, you have a, a greater calling for our life. We are called to righteousness. We are not better than someone else, but maybe we are beyond that. We have been called to declare the word of God as righteous and holy. And I pray as the people of God that we move out of our one man inner tube and we begin to connect to other people in the body of Christ for the greater work. For the last 33 years, Father, thank you for the people of God that has come and assembled themselves in this place. We're different sizes. We're different shapes. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different denominations. But there's one thing that we all have in common this morning is that we've confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. And not only that, but we are seeking truth. It's just not enough for us to confess Christ. We have got to pursue God through his word. Help us to be good students of his word. Thank you for every man that's in this place that I consider to be my brother. Thank you for every woman in this place that I consider to be my, my sister. There's something that connects us. We have currency here. We have, we have communion one with another. Thank you for that. Thank you for this church this morning that we can come together more than just a church setting, that we can come and integrate one with another and love and draw from one another. Thank you. And we are better people because of one another. And, and last of all, I pray for those that have isolated themselves and they have separated themselves from the community of faith. We pray for them as well. And by your Holy Spirit, I pray that they would feel that urgency to return to a, a community of, of believers that they can grow and love, share and give the gifts that you've given them. Fellowship this morning, Father, is so important. It's the bigger part of what you've called us to become in Christ's name. Amen. And all the people said amen. amen. If you believe that this morning, give the Lord a praise offering. If you're glad to have people with you. Yes. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I didn't marry anybody that was like me. Huh? You know, I married someone that was absolutely my opposite. Here I am quiet and meek and bashful and shy, and kind and considerate and 
God knows what you need. He knows who to put in your life. Fellowship. Let's move on out to deeper waters together. Can we do that? Communion servers, please come. For you that are new to the church, thank you for coming. Thank you. We're going to go out into some deeper waters. We can go in deeper waters now because you're here. Your talents, your giftings, thank you for coming. We had to stay in shallow water in a one-man inner tube, but because you come, thank you. Father, we just want to know truth. I'm sick of superstitions. And I don't want to have a social gathering of sensationalism. I want to know truth. Because truth will set us free. And we are free to love you. And we are free to love one another. Thank you for fellowship this morning. As we celebrate Holy Communion today, we're going we're gonna to celebrate it not only of the shed blood of Christ, his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us, but somewhere in this communion, you understand the word now, communion is koinonia. We have something in common. And that person that's in front of you or behind you now, you have something in common. We are incorporating the body of Christ and the blood of Christ together. It's more than just somebody in your way or somebody behind you. They are now part of the community of the body of Christ. And you're going to look at them a little bit different. You're going to speak to them a little bit different. There's something that's now connecting us together. <clears throat> 2,000 years ago, he took the bread and he said, this bread has been celebrated from the first Passover as the unleavened bread. John 6 said, manna fell from the heavens, but your fathers did eat of it, but they hungered afterwards. But he said, I am the bread that my father has sent down from heaven now. And if any man would eat of me, he would never hunger again. And this cup symbolizes the blood of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, it was the ram's blood that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross over the doorpost that the death angel would pass over. But Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God now that takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. We have something in common this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to take the koinonia, the community of faith through communion. Father, bless this cup, bless this bread. And for all of us that take it, connect our hearts together. Help us to be one in Christ's name. Amen.